Welcome to the Wow at Work podcast. We're your hosts, Stephen Dargan and Liliana Ashton. And today we have Dr. Carlos Saba and Lawrence McCall. They're the founders of the Happy Startup School, a community created to bring together a new breed of entrepreneurs that focuses on doing good, being happy, and in the process, also making some money. Thanks, Stephen. Glad to be here. And thanks for um, making me feel bad by not having any letters in front of my name. If you actually Google your name, Lawrence, there is actually a Dr. Lawrence McCall um, who is not you. He's somebody else. And he, 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 <laughs> that makes got, me feel even better. Thanks for that. He's got a surgery in America. But uh, yeah, when I Google myself as to I come across the same stuff. There's, a, there's some Republicans are a state representative in America. That's the exact name as me. Delighted to have you here today, guys, as well, um, talking about uh, more wow at work. Brilliant. I'm just really interested in your story of, of, of where you guys are at today, just for any of the listeners that are listening at the moment. What, wh- where are you at today and what is your story? And then we can might backtrack from that. Where are we at today? Um, we are at, uh, we are at uh, trans-pandemic. We are in a place where I think we're blending. We've got to a point where we're really blending online and offline experiences for creative entrepreneurs to be able to navigate the world of business uh, with a lot more ease and peace. Um, we're doing this through one-to-one coaching, group coaching, uh, and fun and silliness in a field, whether that's uh, in East Sussex, which is our Happy Startup Summer Camp, or whether that's in the mountains and the Alps, um, doing a retreat we call Altitude. And at one time, we were also in India and, and in the US doing the similar kind of gatherings of getting people together to just let the armor down, share the experience of, of work and looking, forging a different path, a, a, a neurodivergent path to business. Love that term, neurodivergence. Is that something to do with happiness as well and happy entrepreneurship that you have uh, created. It's, it's, I've, I've stolen it uh, from Mar- Matthew Bellringer, who's who's part of our community. I've been talking to him about it, and the thing that the re- reason I it sprang to mind now is that there's the typical path of work, uh, and that is really based on our beliefs about what work is about and what success means and how we're supposed to navigate life. And I I kind of feel like Lawrence and the High have, are kind of a bit divergent. <laughs> we're a bit. We're not on that path. And I don't know, maybe Lawrence can pick up that whole difference for us in terms of where we get happiness from work. Yeah, I, I, I heard it described as being a misfit. <clears throat> in some ways, it's like being a, not feeling like you don't fit in. I think it's probably where that's come from. So when we first started out in business, even way before, probably a decade before we'd started the Happy Startup School, going to networking events um industry events and just feeling like we were just different to everyone else just feeling a bit like we don't belong here trying to wear a mask almost and trying to put on an act to feel like you fit in um and probably did that for a few years to be honest you know when we're out um trying to do business you know trying to network um sell things or market things just felt a bit inauthentic and so understanding that there is another way was uh, a bit of a light bulb for us. And I think probably through that process, we've ended up attracting a lot of other misfits who also didn't fit in in those settings. And um, then you become less strange when you realize there's loads of other crazies out there too who who think differently and actually challenge the status quo to say, why is that the normal and this is the abnormal? How could it not be the other way around where this is the norm and those guys are the weird ones? So uh, yeah, that's the path we've been on for the last decade or so now to understand that. 
did that uh, make you create or, or redefine your core values as well in terms of learning play and friendship? Well, friendship was there from day one. <laughs> well, I remember when we, me and Carlos were running our design agency probably 15 years ago now, maybe even slightly longer, we were at the point of growing and we needed to hire someone and we hadn't sat down as two friends from school working out what our values were. We really, um, I guess, were living a certain way showing up a certain way with each other and in some ways wanted to get that down into words to un understand what is the culture we want to create when we grow our company and um, when we're looking for someone else what are the qualities we look for in them that we want to you know bring into the fold so in some ways that's been a process you know this is the agency 15 years ago that we built the values were similar but slightly different I think with the happy startup school they've evolved a bit from us being friends, starting a small company to actually understanding how can we um, keep this journey going and make it fun for us. And so hence, play is one of our values. I think it was always there in some form early on, but I think more recently it's been more apparent is it's really easy to make work, business, life um, really heavy and really serious. And I think sometimes it can take some real courage to make it fun, fun and playful. So that's why that's always been important to us um and i suppose learning like if we don't if we're not learning we're not growing and so um we want to make it interesting for us too and i think a lot of business owners forget that they just kind of follow the path of the business or their customers and forget why they're in it um and i know if i'm not learning and colors is the same i'm sure that if you're not learning you know we feel like we're not progressing not growing and it's not not it just becomes a bit stale so there's, I guess, lots of things that we're about, but those are the three things that really, I guess, make us who we are. So for anybody who doesn't know, the, the Happy Startup School is a place for entrepreneurs who are trying to decide w what way their company is going to go. But it's coming from a completely different world. It's not Dragon's Den. It's it's not The Apprentice. It's, it's a completely different approach. What led you to, to want to create something that just came from a completely different angle that approached entrepreneurship differently? I think this is the beauty of hindsight. We can say, all right, actually, strategically, we identified a need that uh, there was too many lost entrepreneurs who were really miserable with work and they just needed somewhere to go to learn how to do work differently. And then there's the loss of uh, energy or vision for a bu one business and the serendipitous moment of sharing a kind of a wish for how things could be and that turning into something actually more tangible and so it i think it, like lawrence was saying as an agency we we were trying to define what it meant to to be a spook studio which was the agency's called and what was the spook way uh, and and of course that's about defining your values and then trying to turn those into something that people can see so that when they join or work with you they know exactly what they're dealing with um i think that process of evolution it was is a realization of what was important and, and the, uh, there's this journey i think for us over the past 15 years and this is what i think the message i maybe want to share with people is you go from an aspirational to a lived experience of values you know like what Lauren saying you know play yeah it's important but personally i thought play was important but i didn't know what that meant in business and now it's like actually no play is about letting go of expectations it's about letting go of the transaction it's about trying to be 
open to serendipity and 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 not and it's a game and not in the game that it's doesn't matter it's just that we're not burdening the work we do with so much hard expectation and that feels so much more fun and light but as 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 someone as a as an agency it's like yeah yeah we're cool we play we're innovative as opposed to now for me it's like that's bloody important because if you don't play it's fucking hard <laughs> it's really heavy to think about work so without that now it's like without the word play it's like well, well this doesn't exist this it isn't what it is the word play 20 years ago if you'd have said it the world of work people would have gone well, you can forget about that there's going to be none of that uh, nonsense in, in in the workplace and now do you think that's beginning to change that that play is is companies are beginning to open up to the the opportunities that come from creating that creative space that allows people to be the best of themselves yes and no i kind of think that um yeah, people too talk about play, and we have had people actually join Twenty Twenty Vision who are trying to bring more play into the workplace, and I think it's a, it's something that's important. But I think for me, uh, these are words that trigger people in different ways. Like happiness It's like you, you say happiness, and people say, "Oh, it's just sitting around being content and not doing anything in the world." But that's why I was thinking about having a lived experience of the word rather than something that's like you know this is our laminated value that we put there and everyone sees like we own it in our own way rather than and it doesn't have to oh play means this and so you have to do play in this way no no for us if we're going to play is this and we live play rather than we have to define play for the rest of the world and if they get it then great but if they don't then we're just talking at cross purposes. But going back to your question, Stephen, about the whole, well, I think of like, so Colors, it was an emergent journey to some extent, but from day one, we were very clear. I think there was an enemy, and the enemy being business as usual. Um, very clearly thinking about Dragon's Den and uh, The Apprentice, and even some of these startup accelerators in the US, particularly that are very fixed in terms of the way they talk about business and how businesses should operate and what success looks like. Um, and most of the time, there's one definition of success for a business. It's it's growth, it's um, exits, it's that kind of hockey stick growth, you know, and, and very rarely do people come into that as, as being part of the equation. It's really just about numbers on a spreadsheet. And so I think the play element for me comes in because not just is it important to us as individuals running this business, but also it's almost an antidote to that whole idea of being ruthless and being hard-nosed and we have one winner and a thousand losers because that's the model we have um i think you know for us having play at the heart of it means that everyone can sort of move their thing forward and succeed but using their own metric rather than just the one defined by the the people who say how business should look that's fantastic because what what i really like about the definition of um, your business model is that you believe that happiness needs to be part of your business model or needs to be your business model and uh, I, I, I really like that even though as Carlos just mentioned uh, the definition of joy and the definition of, of happiness I suppose there has to be a definition there to make it a sustainable uh, business with a sustainable impact and that's I suppose is the tricky bit um, in, 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 in my in my experience, but uh, it'd be interesting to know your point of view from uh, your experience. What do you think businesses should be doing more of or less of to get to this? Well, I suppose one thing to say to that is I don't think any business should do anything because uh, that also feels like there's one way of doing this. Um, we have a philosophy 
this is our philosophy. Um, other people disagree with it. That's fine. Um, and I think it all comes down to your view of what work or business is for, really. What is the purpose of it? Both me and Carlos have worked in jobs that haven't exactly lit us up every day when we go there and have had a lived experience of those environments. And so this hasn't come through just a, a theory about the world and a theory about work or business. It's come from a lived experience of having experienced the opposite way of doing it, um, which works for some people, but really didn't work for, for me or us. So I think it really comes down to the business owner or the people feeling like something's not right. Um, and I think to try and force a process or an approach onto someone or, or people who don't buy into it can be as, as damaging as not doing anything because it just feels like it's another thing to do. You need to think about your values. You need to have a better culture. Unless something's wrong or they, they see a problem, then I, it probably won't change. And if anything, it might be counterproductive. I think the best time I've seen when this stuff becomes really important is when often the founder or the leader has found a reason for it to be relevant to them. Sometimes that can be um, a life event that's happened to them. Maybe they've got ill or have lost a loved one. Um, it could be a work experience or something that's happened in the business that's made them realize, actually, there's another way of doing this. Um, or maybe they've been inspired by some stories of other people who've built a business in a certain way, and that's made them realize there's another way of thinking about this. So I suppose that's one thing to think about is there needs to be a real, I think, personal reason why you want to instill some change in the way you think about business. What we try and do is help them to start thinking about those things from day one, uh, rather than trying to retrofit this as an approach later when you've got maybe a bigger team or more politics and, and bureaucracy around it, which makes it so much harder. It's not impossible, but it's definitely harder. So I suppose our approach is really thinking about this from day one and thinking about the DNA of your company before you've got any employees, because that way you've got much more freedom to be able to, to create the culture and the company that you want. Was there, was there ever that sort of real aha moments that you had at one stage of work? I know when I had mine, it was, um, it was actually a time when I was on holidays with my daughter and we were traveling through um, Italy at the time. And I just remember uh, we'd done a cycle in the, in the city we were in and it was just lovely. And we stopped off for a coffee or refreshments at the end of it. And she just turned to me. She was only about 12 at the time. And she turned to me and she said, Dad, you know what? This is the best holiday ever. I never want to go home. And I went, God, that's lovely. Yeah. I said, but we have to go home. He said, when? I said, we're going home in three days. And she says, why? And I said, because that's the end of the holiday. We only get two weeks off every year. And she, with her 12-year-old head, just looked at me and said, that doesn't seem fair. And it just set that sort of thought in my head that is that it for the rest of my life? And then I started to work at the mathematics of how long I would be driving the car to work and, you know, you know, all the time taken up to do that and have that experience. Um, so when, when I realized that, that was the aha moment that the world of work needs to change and I can't just sell my soul to, and it's not like I was selling my soul, but I can't feel like I'm selling my soul and giving up everything else at the cost of just having this job to say that I have this role within the organization. It has to be, it can be different. And I think it was that, that, that impact from even that just small conversation with her at the age of 12 began to change. Did you, either of you, have any of those aha moments at some stage sitting at a desk at work realizing this is not, not what I want? I think I, I've had a few of those moments, I think. Um, I used to work freelance for a number of years in different uh, companies as a designer and um, in various roles. And I think what that taught me really was that there's lots of different ways of showing up at work and every company has its own vibe its own culture and its own way of operating but the one that stands out is when i used to work for a pension fund in the city which was my first ever and only full-time role 
which was probably 25 years ago and it was so bad that I've not been back. I don't think I've had a salary since. So in some ways it was the best work experience, but in many ways it was the worst. But it was very similar to what you said. I just started to question why things were done a certain way. I wasn't happy in the role. I'd go in each day. No one really said hello to each other. There just was a general feeling of, I don't know, malaise in the company. And that rubbed off on me and I started to just feel really depressed about the the, the work I was doing. And just lots of snidey looks and comments if you went, you know, for your lunch break or if you left on time, you know, leaving early again, are we? You know, when they would stay till seven or eight in the evening. And there was just this feeling of the, the harder you work, the later you stay, the more brownie points you get and the more you'll impress the people ahead of you. Um, and I remember vividly seeing my boss, who's a woman, leave seven or eight o'clock at night and kind of grumble the fact she had to go home when she's got kids at home waiting for her or she had to go to the nativity play and that was also a bit of a burden and just seeing these little clues for me that just made me realize god if this is what success looks like in this environment and they were successful from the outside in terms of salary and position and um identity uh i just thought i don't want to be that person in 10 or 20 years they weren't inspiring me to to follow on that path and so for me that was a clear indication of if i succeed in this this is what success looks like and for me that was my cue to get out quite quickly so midlife crisis age 23 yeah i was trying to think i don't i'm not sure if i've ever had an aha moment i've always it's more of the case of thinking that i should do one thing but feeling i need to do another thing and i always i can remember a very strong vivid memory of making a promise to myself in terms of where i whatever job i do i want it to be my hobby and it's that and what that meant is like i want to go in there doing it, doing it for the sake of doing it rather than doing it because i need to make money and that was always an instinctive thing but then i got sidetracked because of course you need to pay the rent you need to buy more pay the mortgage this is the way that you life works is you work you go clocking at nine you come out at five you get a check at the end of the month and then you blow it on a weekend getting pissed with your mates and it's it, it felt like there was that kind of path well-trodden path that was clear and that's what you do and then there was i actually there's this other feeling of how I wanted to be at work. And so um, I always, I kind of like fell into roles because I kind of like, see, all right, let's see how this fits, if this works, if it's nice. But each time, knowing that there was going to be a time limit on it because it didn't feel quite right. But that there wasn't really a conscious thing. It was like, a actually, I know this isn't quite right, but I'm going to stick with it. And then at some point, actually, I'm going to leave. I'm going to do something else. And then working with Lawrence. So when I left my uh, a digital agency that I was working for and then going freelance at that time, it was it was less of like, all right, we're going to set up this company is more of a case of like, I'm doing this on my own. I'm working with Lawrence. Actually, it was quite good working together. And there seems to be some stuff that we can do together that that seemed to I can do the stuff that I enjoy, which is with the programming bit. He can do the stuff that he enjoys, which is the design bit. And people are going to pay us for that. Why don't we do that? And then that felt good. And we were doing that remotely and it was okay. And so already that captured an essence of what I wanted from work in terms of I was doing stuff. It was fun. I had a bit of freedom. I was getting paid for it. But then it got into that, oh, but you're an agency, you know, 
as an agency you need to grow and you need to have staff and you need to then have offices and you need to be international so that you can be a full service kind of business that spans across the 20, all the different time zones and i think we got to a stage of growth we were like five six people where it wasn't sure actually where do we go from here and i know lawrence was getting disillusioned by the fact that actually putting a lot of energy and emotion into stuff for people who either a didn't really appreciate it or b didn't really take it anywhere that felt like it was something that had substance and there was a need to make something for himself um and so there was this kind of again emergent journey around it but rooted in this need for freedom a need for enjoying the work that you did um but ultimately i think what because it, and I'm going up in tangent because it wasn't an aha moment. It was this need for, I want it to feel right. I can't be doing something that doesn't feel right, and and if it doesn't feel right, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on. It, it sounds like it sounds like the hustle was the thing you didn't want to do. If you know what I mean, it's like Jason Fry talks about this with Basecamp, his organization. And he gets a lot of kickback from the guys in um, Silicon Valley because he hasn't sold out. Well, not as that he hasn't sold out, but he hasn't expanded and got bigger. And he's very content with his organization, Basecamp, and the amount of revenue that they take in, how they treat their uh, staff. Uh, you know, they've got a small core number of employees within the organizations. And the guys he meets from Silicon Valley, they're not even based in Silicon Valley. They, they say, look, why would you want to be in Chicago and you can be down here with us? And he says, why would I want to be down there? You know, we've got a, quite a happy life here. A lot of us work remotely. Well, most of us work remotely. And uh, we don't need to get any bigger than we are. Everything's just fine. The way I'd, I'd phrase that is I would not sacrifice my well-being just for wealth. Yeah. And that, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to, I, I don't like stress. I don't like pressure. Uh, some people call that weak. I just, you know, if I'm going to be here for X number of years, I want to make as many of those years as enjoyable as possible rather than I'm going to spend 20 years, you know, developing an ulcer and getting gout and putting on weight so that I can play golf and have enough money to travel the world at the age of 65. And we've, try, we've tried playing um, golf and we're not, we're not very good at it. We're not very good at golf. And I know gout isn't pleasant either. So um, I'd rather just make sure, how can I just make sure that most of my days on this planet are above the line rather than below the line? Not that I won't work hard and things will require effort but even that effort would be meaningful rather than meaningless well it's the whole idea of sacrifice isn't it <clears throat> when you talk about hustle it feels like you're sacrificing something for the short term so that you can get a benefit for the longer term i feel it's like i'm going to put it all in now we've got friends and people we know who are like this it's almost like a big bear if this pulls if i pull this off if we pull this off you know this is like the golden ticket but if it doesn't get pulled off what's the cost of it not working and so it feels like and it's a question i ask people a lot when i'm coaching them is like at what cost you know an opportunity comes your way great at what cost moving to uh, the valley when you want to live in chicago at what cost you're sacrificing your lifestyle for that you know kind of shiny object of you know whatever that is funding or excitement um identity so i think it's easy to think about all of these things in one way, just purely about the business. And that's why I think this path is in some ways more courageous because it's a lot easier, I think, to make decisions based on one metric 
you know, which is make as much money as you can. I'm not saying it's noble, it's, but it, it's easier. Um, when you start to bring in what makes you happy, what impact you want to make, who you want to work with, how often you want to work, these all become um, different criteria to use to decide what do I say yes and no to. So I think that's why it's so important then to have people around you who are also trying to do similar things because otherwise it's really hard to navigate that on your own. That's really interesting. And also the concept of how much is enough no? to make you happy and to make you feel that you've achieved what you needed to achieve to then start to enjoy your life. Um, what, what is enough and what's the next thing to preoccupy yourself from from living your fullest life with the purpose and the happiness every day to know that you're doing something that you want to be doing and, and as a and also being paid for it. I've got a question about the second mountain. I'm really interested about uh, this concept of the second mountain that we discussed in some of our body groups and uh, as part of the happy, you know, the happy startup, um, the, the 2020 vision that I was very lucky to be part of. Why do you think that this second mountain is also important? And that goes to Lawrence or Carlos either. Well, yeah, I, di- I discovered the book a couple of years ago. Um, so the book, The Second Mountain, is written by a guy called David Brooks, who's a New York Times writer. And the reason I like the book is I think it captures what we're about now probably better than any other book I've read over the last few years. And in the book, he talks about the first mountain of life being the mountain journey that most of us go on in work. We <clears throat> aim for a good career. We try and get a good job. We get promotion. Maybe through that, we then want to get a nice house, nice car get a family, you know, tickle the boxes of success. Um, but he talks about that journey as, as often being hollow by the time you get to the top. And, and we've met so many people like this who <laughs> come to our events or programs who've maybe got on that on that mountain or, or ladder and, and they find out it's the wrong one for them. Um, they've done all the things they should do, got a good education, good career, but and it looks great on the outside, but something's missing. Um, and often that something can be a sense of fulfillment that the work they're doing is meaningful, that it's worthwhile or that they're using their strengths in the best way. Um, and so he talks about the second mountain as being a, a more rewarding mountain journey of commitment to a cause or to a community or both. And how often uh, people get stuck in the valley between the two. And, and to some extent, that's where we tend to meet people is when they're, they know there's something missing. They know they want to do something more meaningful they want to spend the second half of their life using all the skills and experience they've built up and knowledge um but for something more more valuable than just making a bigger company even bigger um and to some extent we found ourselves you know if i look back 15 years or 10 years when we started happy startup school i think there was a, a search for more meaning um and i think our needs to change from when we started our agency to when we closed it and when we started it, it was much more need for freedom and autonomy and creativity and I think for the happy startup school the need was much more driven by a need to contribute and a need to maybe think bigger as well to think beyond just ourselves but actually working on a purpose and a a cause that was much more exciting and scary in equal measure so that's where we see more and more people heading to is this idea of leading really leading themselves and leading others uh, whether that's a community or even just small teams or groups of customers that they work with to to a, a happier more fulfilling place i think there's something here around as well trying not to bring first mountain mindset to the second mountain 
where you're forced, you know, oh, I need to make impact. I should change the world. I should be doing something bigger than myself. Uh, and not, and I think the message I wanted to try and share was like, rather than holding on so tightly to like, oh, life is meaningless unless I found a meaning, until I found a purpose. How can that be a little pleasant valley? <laughs> How can you just like, oh, it's, it's beautiful, the sun's shining and it's green. It's like, I'm just going to chill here. I'm just going to, until I'm called... I'm not going to climb that second mountain because then you're like, you're back on the first mountain mindset. It's like, oh, I need to strive to make impact. No, like, how can you really just relax? And this for me, this is mainly my own journey. It's like, not want to make impact, not having to force to make impact. And then get to a point where it's like, actually, do you know what? That's what I want to do. That feels right. And whether I make impact or not, I don't know, because who knows if we're going to make impact. There's 7 billion people in the world. Life is hard. We just went through two years of a crazy pandemic. Who who the fuck knows whether there's a chance for us to make any impact? And even, you know, making impact means working with other people, which is a whole lot of complexity as well. You know, you can't do it just one person. So to be able to say, actually, you know, I really want to do that. And I really like it. And if it makes a positive and it doesn't hurt anyone, and I think it might help at least one person, and if that leads to two, then 200, then 2,000, and then 2 million. Amazing. But then to feel like, oh, unless I impact 10 million people in the world, my life is not worthwhile. I feel that that could be also back to the first mountain. And also the idea that it's a climb, you know, even just the analogy can sometimes be unhelpful in that the idea is to enjoy the journey more than often the first mountain feels like I get to a point, you know, when I get that promotion, when I hit that salary, when I get that big house, I'll be happy versus... Like Carlos said, can't we enjoy the des- uh, journey more? Can't we sit up and look around and enjoy the people we're going on that journey with too? Um, and so, and like Carlos said, impact can happen in different ways, whether it's, you know, you just impacting one person and that's fine or or the other end is, yeah, you're impacting lots of people. But yeah, we often find, I think it's pro- probably a big chunk of our work these days is helping people to shift their mindset so that, they're not bringing the things that aren't helpful with them on that second mountain because we and also habits as well we often fo- fall into habits that we've that have served us well in the past so like you talk about hustle maybe working 16 hour days help you to get to where you are in your career and then you start your own business and you end up doing the same if not more because you're now working for yourself and and i remember talking to a guy who he moved to barcelona a few years ago and he was part of our community and you know, it looked great. He was, you know, you could see the background and in his flat, you know, the the beach and everything like that. But he admitted on the call, he was like, "Well, I've been here three months. I've barely seen the beach once because I've just fallen into the same trap of working the same amount of hours for myself in this little one bedroom apartment." And that was never the plan, but it's just ingrained some of these things. So, like Carlos said, it's um, trying to develop some new tools that help you and let go of the ones that aren't when you're trying to navigate this this different path. I like that because Tal Ben Al Shahar talks about that. It's isn't it's, the, it's called the rat race archetype, where you get caught in uh, present detriment. So your life feels miserable now, but there's a future benefit in the time that you retire or you become successful. And the truth is that most of us never get to that stage because the future benefit is never realised. So what you guys are reporting and what we talk about when we talk about happiness at work too, as well, is about having future, having present benefit and future benefit from what you do having a sense of purpose and meaning and joy in the present in the work that you do what 
But what's also interesting, though, as well, because we mentioned mountains, um, is what you guys do. Because I love, because I've run a couple of conferences. So, and we try to shake our conferences up and make them a little bit different as well. So they're not like the normal ones where you go and there's 46 different stalls around and sponsored by companies you've never heard of and you, you've no interest in. And then a couple of speakers coming on talking about topics that don't really, you know, grab anybody. But you guys have done something quite different. And you've started off a couple of years ago with, uh, and I'd like you to explain what you've developed to where you guys are now. But you started up with, with uh, your your summer camp and i think the first summer camp you had was in an actual hyde park was is that true mm. yeah it was in in nestled amongst the trees in hyde park how'd you get that did you just sneak in or did you have to talk to anybody <laughs> about how you, how do you get hyde park for, uh, uh, for it wasn't on, we didn't take it wasn't like Rolling stones with like hundred thousand people there um no no there's an amazing little um nature center and education center in in the trees in hyde parks called the lookout that very few people know about so they do like um school trips and and things like that and we managed to secure that for a day in september 2013 so eight years or so ago now and that was um that was our experiment really we like it's it, ever since then it's been a three or four day weekend but that was our first sort of one day conference if you want to call it that um and yeah it really gave us the confidence to go and do you know everything we've done since and and we'd only be going a few months at that point so i think we came up with the idea in the spring and three months later we had 100 people in the room with some great speakers that had inspired us at that point and yeah i think it really gave us a shot in the arm of yeah this is something we should be doing and and the feedback we got from that day really gave us the fuel to move forward so what's that developed into now because now you have like you've got if you can explain altitude to people and uh, what summer camp has developed into and then you've had your week of nothing yeah well i mean I would say over the last two years, Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone. Um, we, we refrain from doing a virtual version of either of those things. Um, and what we've actually done is, as you guys know, we've, we've created a program which we actually launched before the pandemic, which was all online. So and I think the reason for that is, you know, the in-person events we've designed can't be recreated online. So there'd be a second rate version of them. We'd rather create something specifically for online on the, from the ground up. Um, but yeah, summer camp has evolved into, it's an annual festival. Some people call it our AGM on a farm. Um, we get 150 people together for, for a weekend and we have talks and workshops and activities. There's hot tubs and saunas and all sorts of conversations that happen around the campfire and on walks from dawn till dusk. Um, and really it's, it's a hobby of our community, really. It's, it's where our community gathers people from all around the world come we get inspired we get to showcase some of the best people most inspiring people to us to to our community and it's just a visual reminder of why we're doing the work we're doing because there's so many stories that come out of that event so many collaborations that have happened we've had a marriage people who've met at summer camp have, have gone on to um spend their lives together so yeah, it's it's that serendipity engine almost where people come together and you never quite know what's going to happen um, and again, an example of that is the Altitude Retreat uh, you've talked about, which came about from a collaboration from our friend Jack Hubbard, who came to our first summer camp, spoke there about uh, his vision for business and his talk was called Bucket List Business Planning. Um, and he shared his vision for a, an alpine um, adventure playground for entrepreneurs. And he just moved out there with his family and he wanted to host entrepreneurs in this beautiful backdrop. And so we thought, well, we'd love to do an overseas event. We loved Jack, we loved his ethos, and we decided to partner on a retreat, which we ran that first year in 2015, and we've run every year since. Um, 
And like you said, it's it's a bit of an antidote to business as usual, conferences as usual. The idea with it was every conference we've been to, all the best bits seem to happen in the in-between bits. Very little value we'd found had happened when we were sat in a chair staring, listening to someone talk. And so the vision for it was really as simple as what would happen if we took 25 inspiring people, put them into an inspiring place, and to some extent got out of the way and I'd make a whole week of the in-between bits rather than it be the, the you know, all about the structure that we put in place. And so we, we had a bit of structure in place, but more than anything, it was the opportunity for anyone who comes to create space for themselves to share and learn from each other through conversations and through emergent talks or workshops that came out of the needs of the group the week whilst also having some really amazing experiences out in nature um, and so yeah we've done it every year since so we've taken to the US and uh, it's not really changed that much we've tweaked a few little things but the essence is still the same that a lot of people who come on these retreats they're smart people with a lot of knowledge to share so rather than bringing outside facilitators or or teachers or speakers let's let them have the floor and give them the platform to be able to share stories and experiences together and what about the week of nothing or the day you had a day of nothing it was i remember you had that last year you had in june uh, when when nobody could be around each other but i love that day of pausing that that idea of just slowing down and just stopping you had some great ambient music you had a great playlist you put together too as well i love that and then I, I, I just spent the day looking at the Cloud Appreciation Society website. Uh, it was just brilliant. Isn't that amazing? I didn't know that, I didn't know that uh, existed until I did my research around the event. So the day of nothing was actually talking about, I think it came about because in June last year was just after the first wave of the pandemic and we were thinking about doing a virtual version of our summer camp. And there felt like a bit of a need there to fill or a gap to fill in the calendar of like, you know, we've done this every year for eight years. feels like, we're going to miss out if we don't do that. And every time I sat down to start thinking about it, I, just the energy wasn't there. I just felt like it wasn't going to work. And actually, I just thought, I've seen so many virtual summits, so many online conferences that are happening. I almost thought the opposite's needed, which is what if we just switched off from a day from Zoom? What if we did nothing instead of doing everything online? And actually, I think a lot of the reasons our events work is because we are getting outdoors into nature, connecting with ourselves, slowing down, um, getting away from the day-to-day. And so in some ways, it was just trying to tap into that need I had for myself, which was just to get out without the feeling of being on a, another Zoom call. And then through that process, giving some people some guide rails, really. So they weren't just saying, go and do nothing for a day, see you in a day. It was, we're going to top and tail this with a an online um, circle, which we had with our friend Lawrence Short, so he hosted that. But the day itself, we just gave people, like you said, some short guides of how to how to do nothing because it's not easy to do and uh, so we got people looking at the clouds we got people listening to some uh, audio clips of going on mindful walks and, and things like that and yeah we had thousands of people do it and i found it really useful and it, i've heard people from this day who said they did it and it's they've tried to ingrain some of those habits in their day-to-day life since which is awesome with the week of nothing like lauren said that i'm they're very guilty of finding it very hard to do nothing um, and I think that a lot of people, um, especially if they have an addiction to achievement, where spending time doing nothing is is wrong. It's 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 not it's not something that should be allowed. Trouble is, you you end up being very busy, going nowhere, um, 
and it's very hard to well you end up bumping into some into a brick wall at some point because your head's so far down focusing on the doing that you forget what it means to have a sense of direction uh, and because of that i think it's for me the essence of the week of nothing is is helping people create space to then look up and work out where next uh, and sometimes it's not only about where I'm going to go next, it's like, where have I been? <laughs> and what am I going through? Uh, and and how does it actually feel? Or you can just blot it out with busyness. But at some point it's going to bite you in the butt. Uh, and so people need, I, I, you know, you feel that, and I know I do, and people need help with that. People need a reason to stop. And they, you need to package it up. <laughs> you know, how can we package up stopping? And saying, okay, you know, this is what it looks like. This is how you do it. I'm going to help you. There's a space to do it in. Uh, and, and you pay money for it. <laughs> because, actually, it's it's something that you need, but you can't do on your own. So, the week of nothing is really trying to um, help people practice. I think one of the better words. What, what was being taught on the day of nothing. Uh, and it's quite it's quite ironic that you need to learn how to practice how to do nothing and talking about packaging it up for those listeners that uh, are working in a corporate environment um, or how could we potentially package up some of the beauties and the jewels that you have created through the happy startup school philosophy i'm 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 of the school of thought now that it's really about leadership so whilst we're a business community a business school um, we work with mainly entrepreneurs or solopreneurs. Really, I believe it's all about leadership in terms of, I think, a lot of the jewels, as you say, of, of uh, interventions that we, we have and we do and some of the ideas we share. I believe people can integrate themselves, but it comes down to, in some ways, trust and, I, I guess, to some extent, autonomy. And I think that's one of the reasons many, many people work for themselves is they want that freedom, that autonomy to be able to do things how they want to do it. You know, if I want to get up late, I can do that. If I want to be able to work on this client project and not that one, then that, those are reasons why people might start their own business. I think the challenge becomes when either something's forced on you, i.e., hey, we're doing this happy workplace thing now, come come, be part of it, when it feels like something that's been forced on you. Um, so for me, it's really how can we power people with some of these tools to be able to allow them to do the work the best way they can rather than this is a company way, take it or leave it. Um, and so ultimately, I think it comes down to leadership at the top for people to trust their employees and, and to be able to give them tools to manage their time, manage their well-being and creativity in a way that allows them to get the job done in the best way that they can music to my ears because this is exactly what we discussed in one of our past episodes that sometimes like with our breathwork um, offering for well-being for employees um, sometimes companies think that uh, it's, it's just a take-off exercise and potentially say to employees well here you are you have the half an hour lunchtime breathwork session or happy habits or whatever uh, workshop we're offering but now you don't have your full hour for lunch. So do that and then carry on um, working so hard. So I suppose that's exactly what we need to try and encourage. That is about change of uh, minds 
um, in leadership. I think you go back, then you don't, don't you end up going back into a world of stressful work? Isn't, isn't that what it is? The problem with corporations, we talked about this before with the Goldman Sachs, um, you know, offering their employees fruit baskets and a bit of online yoga at half 12 or whatever, you know, when they've still got a, you know, a 14 day ahead of them after that point, you know. The challenge I have with this is that um, you're trying to sell a product, for instance, and this is the thing that I'm, uh, there's two elements to this. A, we're trying to work on something that's quite uh, complicated. You know, how do people feel at work? It's such a subjective thing. Uh, and within uh, an environment of a complicated business where there's lots of moving parts, to say, all right, do this and everything will be better. A, there's going to be meet a bit of resistance because everyone's so busy. And B, it might not be the best thing. So there's an element here of like, I believe, co-creating a solution, you know, we're talking about empowering people, but I think empowering an organization to come out, come up with the right well-being solution for them. And maybe it's breath work, maybe it's oh, a week of nothing, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's something completely different, maybe it's eating well, whatever it is. But there's, there's, a, there's a need to work with organizations to design that together, I think, rather than this is it, do you want to buy it? And then on top of that is like, and this is what I've taken from our conversation with Ted Hargrave uh, on our Friday Fireside a couple of weeks ago, is like really just marketing and selling the perspective and the story of what is it that is really important about turning up each day feeling amazing or being part of an organization where everyone is interacting in ways that they see each other well, where they understand when someone's stressed or not stressed, where you can go into a meeting really scared about the presentation you're going to make, but have a simple way to just bring down that energy and how that's going to help in all sorts of ways. And just thinking about what is it? Why are we at work? In, like what you're doing now, why are we at work in the first place? What is it we're trying to achieve together? And just talking about, you know, your the really unique perspectives around that. And then offering people like, this is a solution that you can create. You will need help to create that solution. And there are tools to do that. But you need to make it for yourselves. And how that can open up possibility for different ways to deliver value and real impact. Because I feel like lots of people selling meditation apps and workshops on how to um, do certain things and it feels like we're trying to put stuff on on people rather than all right let's how do we work together to really design something that works for you which essentially i think is even much higher value it's like teaching a man to fish rather than giving them fish I think the best organizations are the ones that don't have a need for forced happiness within the workspace, don't need to take a box. and It just becomes the ethos of what they do. And that's what you're helping entrepreneurs to do. I just want to finish off by just asking, we're coming to a stage here where we've come out of 20 months of pandemic. And I think people have begun to realign or re redecide what they want from the world of work. How, how do you think the world or the future of work is going to change? Yeah, there's a, there's a short answer and there's a long answer. Um... Yeah, the, I'll touch on the long answer. The long answer is it's hard to know because things are changing so much. And so in terms of how work how work works, whether it's blended, online, hybrid, uh, full of automation, augmented reality, whatever it is, the technologies, it's hard to know how that works. I think what is important is understanding is how 
how do I want to spend my time? Uh, and how much of my time is that going to be involved in work? And what else is important to me around work? Uh, and what kind of work do I want to do in terms of how does this align with the stuff that's interested in me? I'm interested in, for instance, like what is it that like drives me forward? And I think the opportunity that the internet provides in terms of remote working means that we have a lot more choice in terms of the places that we can work and the companies that we can work for. Uh, and so there's, for a very specific um, part of the world population, there's a real opportunity for choice about how we work and who we work for. The question then is, is how do I make that choice? And so really for me, the the work below that is like, what do I really want? <laughs> what is it? How does it I really want to live? Because then from there I can make, a, there's so much possibility, then I can make a choice from there. Caveat is like, there are a lot of people out there who can't, who don't have that privilege. And so fine, there's, there, there are challenges there and it's going to affect some people adversely. But for those who do have the opportunity, who essentially have the responsibility to make the right choice of the right work, then I really would encourage you to think about what does success mean for me and what does a good day look like for me. To add a little bit of gratitude, I saw that uh, in the wonderful Happy Startup Network, you're going to do a gratitude um, happy hour for all members. And uh, these uh, small gratitude rituals that we can maybe create to maybe remind us of what what we have and what we want more of, I suppose. One final thing I'll just say is um, there's a book I've been reading recently called The Hundred Year Life, which um, I don't know if you've read that one, but it's a good one. And and the, the nice thing about it is it talks about how, um, I suppose, with a big caveat of uh, the pandemic and climate change, but life expectancy is is going up, you know, across the board. And kids born now can expect to live to 100. And the idea of being, it becomes the norm, not the exception. And so when we think of our lives being 100 years long and pension funds not getting any bigger and us not being able to retire at 60, how does that reframe the idea of work itself? Because we're not going to work 40 years, um, get a pension and die 10 years later. Work is totally reframed on the basis that we're not working to exist. We're working over a long period of time. And I think the last 18 months have taught a lot of people that actually they want more from work and they're starting to ask themselves these deeper questions. So I suppose my hope would be that people just start to question the norms much more than they would have done 10, 20 years ago. And that's happening already. So, And that's something that stayed with me. And it's something when I talk to school students too as well, when I do talks to them, I, I get them to remind themselves that they've got pretty much 52 years of work at least ahead of them. Um, so I want to say thanks so much to, go, to you guys, Lawrence and Carlos, for joining us today Thank on our, <laughs> our Wow at Work podcast. This has been absolute brilliant and a great insight into guys that are transforming the world of work for the better. I want to say thank you so much, guys. An absolute pleasure. And thank you for me too. <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs>